Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The pundits like to slice and dice our country into red states and blue states. That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Welcome to the podcast, History, Politics, and Beer, the 2020 Election Edition. We are here to take you from election to inauguration, examining the issues through the lens of history. Now, here are your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. Welcome back, boys and girls, to another edition of History, Politics, and Beer. My name is Matt Shockey. I am one half of the duo. I do the introductions. Hudson, my partner across from me, does the the beer introduction. So, Hud, I'm looking at a bottle of red ale. What's yeah, going on here? Yeah, well, this is uh, Smittick's Red Ale. And uh, it's Ireland's brewed in Ireland and Dublin. It's a Guinness product. So, Guinness uh, product? Yeah. Oh. Well, so why don't you open her up and let me get it all. If I could give it a taste. There we go. Red ale, a ruby red brew with a gentle hot bitterness and a sweet malt finish. Sounds like my first wife. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I like that. Yeah. You know what? I like uh, red ales. I used to drink, and I cannot remember what it was, back in college, um, was a red ale I really enjoyed. Killian's? It was Killian's Red. Killian's, which was kind of, I think, an American brewed ale, but it was an Irish red ale, they called it. Yeah, there's a nice combination of malt, a little bit of hops. Right. You know. It's it's, a winter beer, definitely. It's it's definitely a winter beer, and, you know, it's uh, always, uh, this time of year, old anxiety, I always think about... Ireland, anyhow, for some reason. Oh, and, nice connection, Hunt. Yeah, well, I was uh, I was watching. You know, they have all these Christmas carols, which are all happy. But one of my favorite one is "Fairy Tale of New York." Do you know that one I, at all? The Fairy Tale of New York. Yeah, it's by the Pogues. I know the Pogues. Okay, it's basically about a dysfunctional Irish <laughs> immigrant family at Christmas time. But the, the first line of the the uh, song is. It was Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk tank. <laughs> and, and, you know, to me, that's so Irish. Right. And uh, I was watching The Stand. Have you seen The Stand? Is I saw it. I've, been see, I've seen it advertised. I haven't okay. watched it. Well, I've been watching it. CBS All Access. They did another yeah. remake of it. But, you know, in the toward the beginning, the guy who creates the virus uh, recites this poem by... William Butler Yeats, which is called The Second Coming. It's a famous poem, but the end of the poem is, And what rough beast its hour come round at last slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. And the idea is the second coming's not going to be a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and in the case of The Stand, it's Captain Trips and and so forth. You kind of get between that song and that poem an idea that the Irish... (laughs) view of the world they're not can, optimistic it can be pretty dark and then there's there's a a famous uh, group of short stories by james joyce called the dubliners and the last story is about a party on, on new year's eve okay 
So, and you probably guess the title of it. Uh, the Last Drink. Well, that's it's called The Dead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I think that it's kind of appropriate. Um, this has been a terrible year. Now, you know, for people I know, for the country, for my fan. I mean, it's just been a really rotten year. And there's something to the Irish viewpoint. It's not, It's like life isn't all happy. No. But, but you know, what, what do people in Ireland do? They, you know, they write great literature. and They, they survive. And uh, they make great music. So much, you know, great music. And they drink spittings. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. And so let's toast in the new year to this. Dink. Really, uh, all right, here we go. To, to the new year. Mm. I do like that. That's a nice winter beer. Well, they say that red ales go really good with food, so I bought We're, some food. Well, we got this, some crackers and... Yeah. yeah. Check that out with food. What kind of cheese am I eating? Yeah, it's Munster. Oh, okay. I do enjoy Munster cheese. Hmm. I like that. Wow. Okay. A little fire going. Yeah. All right. So... Today's topic, we're going to take a look um, at some exit polls. I think we should also address how the Democrats won so handily at the top of the ticket, but what we call down ballot below that, uh, they did not fare nearly as well. Right. Um, and we can take a look at the upcoming Congress and what that can mean, because we are sitting in a census year, which means we're going to redistrict. Right. And uh, what that what that could mean for Republicans and Democrats. Um, so what you need to know here is that Biden beat Trump handily. I mean, four point five to five percent yeah. of the national vote. A little over seven million votes. Yeah, it's vote. not. It's close. You didn't, but it's not close. It's it's closer in the you know in this electoral college because. Right. You know, if you would change 60,000, 70,000 votes in, let's say, uh, Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin, you could have had a different result. Just like last election, if you could change 80,000, 90,000 votes in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, Hillary would have been president. So it's closer in the Electoral College because that's what the Electoral College does, you know, but it, it... it's clear who the people's choice was, unless you're a conspiracy theorist. Which we are not. Yeah. Um, so it was very clear, and I don't think it would really even been that interesting of an election to watch if it was just simply a national vote. Um, because the polling on the state levels really wouldn't have mattered. I mean, who cares what people in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania are doing? It, we're looking at a much larger group, and it seems, well, 300 million, 330 million. And it seemed that the national polls were pretty good. Um, they hit it pretty closely, just like they did back in 2016, that the national polls hit pretty close. But we don't live in that world. We live in a world where the Electoral College is in play. But we don't want to talk about the Electoral College. I think the first thing we want to talk about is down-balloting. And could you, to start things off, just explain what down-balloting is? Well, what yeah, we- down-ballot means that when you in presidential election years, uh, that obviously it's not just the president that's being decided. Every district in the United States, every 435 of them are being decided. 
uh, a third of all Senate races, because they're six-year terms, but they're staggered every two years, so a third of all Senate races. And that also can include you know, state governors, uh, state representatives, and when you're talking about redistricting, the control of the, the state legislatures are, is very important because they'll end up drawing the districts after the new census. Right. So, that's so it's, it's ev- basically it's everything on the ballot except the president. Right. S- uh, state and local elections. And also, you have the, so you have Congress, you have your state elections, you have your local elections. All of that is on the same ballot as the president of the United States. Right. And, uh, you know, um, I think when we look at the down ballot, too, there, there's sort of this left wing theory of elections. And it goes like this. Elections pit uh, white people against people of color and they pit males against females. And white males will vote for the Republican Party to preserve their privilege. That privilege is increasingly threatened by people of color and it's threatened because we are becoming a what they call a minority majority country uh, and so trump through his sexism and racism really and and you can see it really epitomized by his immigration policy he kind of exemplifies the modern republican party's appeal to white men and uh, you also have the idea that government structure, the Electoral College and the Senate really helps white men in their efforts to maintain their dominance. And, but that structure isn't even enough. So what Republicans do is resort to voter suppression. And anyway, I think that's generally the left wing theory of elections. And here's an idea, here's something I think is good to start the, the new year off with. The idea that things are complicated. I actually don't disagree with any of that that I just said. But it's not, as Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story. There's another story. Life in politics in America is more complicated than that. And the down ballot races show that. Right. I mean, one thing you can, one area we talk about being complicated, you can look at the Latino vote. And how the Democrats for so long have looked at the Latino vote as this mass monolithic vote that Latinos are going to vote one way or another. And the Latino vote is rather complex. Uh, If you look at the Latino vote in Florida, for example, you're getting a lot of people from Cuba, from Venezuela and from other, quote unquote, socialist countries. And that's going to be different than Latino vote that's going to be in uh, the southwest of the United States and people with Mexican heritage or Spanish heritage. So it is complex. Uh, And I do think that Democrats oversimplify by using the idea that white people, white males want to protect their privilege and therefore, because of that, if you're a minority, if you're a person of color, you should automatically be coming into the Democratic Party because we're sort of a storm shelter, right? We'll protect you from the big, bad white Republicans. And I think in some way that worked against Democrats, especially in Florida, it worked against Democrats. Well, yeah. And, you know, I, I have the, the breakdown here. About 13 percent of the total voters uh, were Latino this year which is slightly under their representation in the population, where I think almost 18% of the uh, population is now Hispanic. But um, about a third of them voted for Donald Trump. 
32. Right, I have it at 32%. Yeah, 32%. Yep. So about a third. So the idea that we're just split by, you know, white against people of color. And I do think sometimes liberals use that term intentionally uh, because they, they are kind of driving the narrative that that's the split. You have the racist and the, you know, the, and they're the dot. And, and, but that's not really, that, again, I believe that's part of the story. Life is complicated. Right. It's not, I think because we end up with a two-party system, we end up with a good guy, bad guy narrative, which doesn't really apply to politics uh, a lot of the time. You know, 33%, what, 33% of Hispanics you want to say, oh, those people are stupid. They don't know their own self-interest. I don't want to say that. No, I'm so certainly not going to say that. Maybe they group. do know what their interest is, and maybe they feel it doesn't lie with the present incarnation of the Democratic Party. Right. So I think part of what, and you brought this up before, I think one of the problems that Democrats have is they play identity politics and they try to find candidates that can check all these boxes that will appeal to different groups. And I think Republicans on, are more message-based and try to get a, across a specific message to their candidates, um, I mean, to the, to the voting electorate. And I think that, in the end, hurts Democrats um, because populations are complicated. Um, what did I say, populations? I mean, uh, elections are, compl are complicated and the demographics are complicated. I think messaging is where Democrats fall short. Let me give you an example of this. Um, defund the police. Oh. Right? So I get in arguments with some of my liberal friends about defund the police, and it's explained to me that in the 80s, they defunded social programs to fund police. So now they want to defund the police, um, which is a playoff of what happened in the 80s. And, well... To fund social programs. To fund social programs. Well, defund the police might be, in my personal opinion one of the worst monikers that you can shout. Hashtags ever. One of the worst hashtags ever. Right. Defund the police. People know police officers. Police officers are all over the place. They're doing great work. They're putting their lives on the line. Um, are there some bad police officers? Sure there are. But when you look at most Americans, when they look at their local police people, the policemen, they're okay with it. They well, think they're doing a really good job. And the idea that you want to defund them is offensive. Well, yeah, and, and you know, uh, there, there was a, actually a phone call. I guess it was a three-hour-long phone call among the uh, Democratic caucus after the election. And the centrists were really getting on the so-called progressives for using the term socialism right. and defund the police. And later, Obama said this, if you believe that I do, that we should be able to reform the criminal justice system so that it's not biased and treats everybody fairly, I guess you can use a snappy slogan like defund the police. But you know, you lost a big audience the minute you say it, which makes it a lot less likely that you're actually going to get the changes you want done. Now, I happen to totally agree with Barack Obama. You know, you could say, we need to reimagine policing. There's all sorts of catchy ways right. you could put that. You don't have but defund the police. But uh, 
Now, uh, Ilhan Omar, who is, uh, you know, the, uh, a relatively famous congresswoman that gets elected in Minnesota, criticized Barack Obama, says, we lose people in the hands of the police. It's not a slogan, but a policy demand. Considering the demand for equitable investments and budgets for communities across the country gets us progress and safety. So she's criticizing Obama's criticism of defund the police. Now, here's the deal. Obama won Ohio twice, okay? Obama won Iowa twice. Obama won Florida twice, Mm -hmm. all right? Ilhan Omar wins her very liberal district in in Minnesota. That's where she wins, which also has the highest, Minneapolis has the highest Somali immigrant population in the country, I believe. So that's where she wins. So, you know, I'm going to I'm going to pay attention to the guy who wins everywhere. Right. That would be Barack Obama. Well, that's always been my position with people who are on, you know, I'm a Democrat and the people who are uh, out further, much further left than I am is that if you aren't winning elections, nothing matters. If you're not in a position to make changes in policy, nothing matters. So why are you hung up on a name uh, when probably most people would agree with what you're saying? Is that well, we need they to would re- agree with at least what you're willing to say out loud, which right. is we're going to reduce maybe police funding and and spend that more on social programs. We had that recent... Uh, killing in Lancaster County. Uh, a yeah. police officer killed a guy who attacked him with his knife. He had his body camera. I don't, I looked at it. I don't know what else the police officer could have done. But he should have been never put in that situation. Right. And and you could make the argument from that situation that if the mental health care system uh, worked better with this guy who had psychotic episodes and, and murderous episodes, he would have never been. So, okay, let's put some money in that, which which I think is a reasonable uh, argument. Now, the, the way uh, liberals work, though, I mean, I do think we're going to have to learn how to talk to each other better, and maybe that's a, a resolution I have for the new year. But there's a liberal magazine, so it's called New York Magazine, and uh, what they, they, they noticed what Obama said, too. And they said the most notable thing about Obama's remarks is that they're not directed at anyone who actually wants to defund the police. He is addressing people like himself, those who believe that we should be able to reform the criminal justice system so that it's not biased. This is not the goal of the abolitionists who coined the term. They feel that such reforms don't work. That ha- and they've failed to prevent police violence from Minneapolis to Atlanta to New York City. For them, defund is a step on the path toward getting rid of the police and prisons altogether, which they recognize correctly are impossible to abolish if governments keep getting them money. Okay, so what they're saying is defund the police is actually a term for getting rid of police and prisons altogether. All right, run on that. We're going to get rid of the police. I mean, they did polls. Pew and other people did polls. And they go into minority communities and found that they don't, actually, they don't want, the people in those communities don't want less police presence. They want fair policing, but they don't really want less police presence. They're victims of crime. But that's interesting to me 
that their idea behind defund the police is even more radical than the term defund the police. And defund the police is only approved of by about 20, at less than a quarter of American people like that term and agree that we should do that. So that's a, that's a thing that doesn't win. Period. When you look at, and this came out through exit polling, I'm not gonna, probably not going to be able to pull up the exact poll, um, but when you look at a lot of the exit polls, you really get a huge disparity between Republicans and Democrats on certain issues. And one of them that was polling was Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter, surprisingly, now it might not be a large number to people, but it was to me that 20 to 30% of Republicans supported Black Lives Matter, which is a very reasonable suggestion that if you're black, maybe you shouldn't die because of the color of your skin by policing. And that's what you're talking about, reforming policing and well, making it more fair, more equitable. That's what talking about. There's an audience there, maybe. There's a potential audience. But if I now say I'm in favor of abolishing police, you know... <laughs> There, there goes your audience, not only just in, you know, it's because the divisions aren't strictly between white people and people of color. You're losing some people who are Hispanic. You're losing about a third of Asians voted for Trump this time. You have 48% of Trump voters who said racism in America is either the most important problem or an important problem in America. Now, that is combined to um, Democrats who overwhelmingly much higher than that will say that. But that is a really, really big number that of Republicans who saying that racism is an issue. Um, and again, I was trying to get down. I'll view a Black Lives Matter. Those who voted for Trump, 20 percent view it favorably, which if you look at other areas, um, you that's. That's a much higher percent. That's enough to pull people away from the majority. And if you are saying, hey, let's maybe take our prisons and put them back in the hands of the government, not make them for profit. Yeah, and not give the uh, profit incentive to put people in them. Right. Maybe we do retraining of police officers. Maybe we look at our drug laws and how our drug laws are disproportionately affecting African-Americans. I think that you would get a clear majority of the people going, yeah, that seems reasonable well, to look it at would those be, things. Maybe you could reach across the aisle and get a few more votes, that's all, which that's, is what we're talking about. And that's about. all we're you getting, need. That's right. And that's all Because we're kind of evenly divided. But if, if but I, you know, what Obama said, I think it's really, if you want to do something, he's predicating because he was president and, you know, he wanted to get stuff done. He had a uh, Republican Senate that basically blocked him. A lot of times he was able to get Obamacare through, but you know, and I don't want to rehash all that. But he wanted to get things done. If you actually want to improve, but, and, and this is maybe one of the dark sides of human nature here. <laughs> do people really want to do that? Mm. And when people are on Facebook and I read what they say, and sometimes they're right wing and sometimes they're left wing, I sometimes really doubt that they want action to solve a problem. I really do. They want to, as you know, the term goes, they want a virtue signal. They want to say, you know, I, I'm I'm on if they're I'm a, I'm an ally to the black community, and they want to always be able to to do that. 
Whereas if you get rid of a problem where you empower, um, you know, if you can really empower minority communities, they don't need white allies as much, right. which is, which is, you know, and, and I had a little experience. I mean, I taught out on the Navajo reservation for about three years and my goal, you know, I wasn't, knew I couldn't be a savior. So my, my goal was basically my goal when I came to white community. I want to be a good teacher. And I always think education can empower people. Not that you need me, but, you know, I'm here and I can do a good job. And sometimes I think that, and, and there is some truth, I believe, to the Democratic Party, uh, and maybe consciously and maybe unconsciously, they, they like to foster dependence, maybe. Sometimes, at least they accept because they, you know, then you might vote for them because they have a program that, that might help you. Empowerment, to me, certainly will involve government. I think government can be, you know, instrumental in helping empower a community. But in the end, you want that community to have power. And sometimes I, I'm not sure if some of the allies really want that. And I know that might irritate, but that's the way I feel about it. So many of the people that I see post on Facebook, because I know some of them, and I don't want to criticize, but they've never done an actual step to em- try to empower. They've never really worked in a, you know, like I lived and worked in where I was a minority. And, and it's, it's like, again, I wanted to do that. I learned more than I taught. I'm glad I did it. But I see, you know, people on Facebook. I don't think there's anything called Facebook activism. You either want to engage with people and deal with the problems that exist there, or you don't. And if you do, if you really want to solve problems, you're going to have to reach out beyond your own worldview. Well, that is, you know, it's an interesting take on the Democratic Party. And that the Democratic Party is there to help those who the system has oppressed. Um, I think that Bill Clinton had a really good quote when Clinton was opening up his library in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, he gave a speech, and and the thing that stuck with me from that speech is he defined Democrats as removing barriers that should never have been put there in the first place. Okay, and I like that. It's a, yeah, I think it was an excellent um, – yeah, open that up for me. I get my second beer. Um, it, but implied in that is once you remove the barriers, what is there left for you to do, right? At some point, either you're moving you're, – you're working towards your own extinction in, in a way. Because as you remove more and more barriers, less and less people need you to remove barriers because the system is becoming freer and it's becoming more fair. So – Either you have to admit, A, you're doing a piss poor job of removing barriers. Uh, <laughs> you're the worst barrier remover ever. Right. Or you have to say, maybe that isn't our goal all along. Maybe part of our goal is to keep people, I'm not saying intentionally, keep people dependent on you being in office, but there's certainly an interpretation for that. And I think it is something the Democratic Party has to look at that if you empower groups of people, they're going to leave you eventually because they don't need you. Well, I mean, the, the, the uh, studies show that. They show that, for instance, Hispanics who come here, and uh, as they become more and more acclimated and successful in American life, they tend to vote for 
the party that gives them more taxes, you know, they, they tend to vote that way. And, and again, uh, if, if we go back and look at these exit polls, um, uh, even, you know, and this is just kind of shocking with me that 13 percent of black people voted for Trump because Trump was racist. I mean, you know, that whole thing about Obama not being from this country was an idea which he distinguished himself from the rest of the people he was running against in the Republican field and uh, is an idea to delegitimize your first African-American president. It's racist. Mm -hmm. Other people, that's called the dog whistle, but that's a big, loud dog whistle. And uh, if, if the Republicans can get 13% of black people now with this guy who's kind of openly racist, that, uh, what can they get when, if they really do have a an idea of free market, more libertarian solutions and and where they don't use the dog whistle. Well, well they get, I think they'll get a higher percentage. If they can do that. And I if think, they can do that. And I think this is where the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are uh, light years apart right now. I think the Republican Party is teetering. Um, the only reason they're a significant party in the United States is because of the Electoral College and how the Senate is distributed. Um, 12 percent is a great stat right here. 12 percent of the US, U.S. population controls 60 percent of the U.S. Senate um, simply because of how the Senate is. Right. Is Every down. state gets two senators. Right. So, so if you're Wyoming and you got half a million people, you get two senators. That's the population of the county we live in. in to, to look at it in a in a, a concrete way, when the con the first U.S. Census in 1790, uh, the largest state in 1790, any, any guess? The Pennsylvania. Not Pennsylvania. Virginia. Oh, the largest, Lar po most populous state. Virginia. Virginia. Do you want to take a guess at the population of Virginia in 1790? Oh man, I bet it was awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go 28,000. Well, 691,000. Oh, wow. The way whole, yeah, a whole state of Virginia. Well, six, and that also includes what's now West Virginia. Right. Yeah, well, of course. That, <laughs> that, that, that's what threw me off. <laughs> that, that gave you the extra 600,000. Right. The smallest state at the time was Delaware at 59,000. So the founders did understand that there was going to be a huge disparity between those two states. Uh, Virginia is 11 times larger than Delaware, all right? So they did understand that by giving two votes to each state, there was going to be a large disparity. In the last elect, in the last census in 2010, if we go biggest and largest again, California has 37 million votes, 20 million people. Wyoming has 560. That is 66 times bigger. So it's tripled over tripled um, since the time of the uh, time of the revolution, the writing of the Constitution. Now, what does all that mean? Well, obviously, we're not going to go back and rewrite the Constitution. I'm not advocating that at all. But numbers matter and the system matters. And Democrats, I think right now are in a I'd rather even though the Republicans do well in elections, the reason they do well in elections is because the system is leaning heavily in their favor. Well, the Electoral College and how we right. elect the Senate. And the Senate is hugely in their favor as well. Um, so I think the Democrats have a much better future in targeting and messaging than Republicans do. Because Republicans are at a crossroads. Um, they lost uh, 
down ballot measures. Um, the votes cast in 2020, 1.4 million people who voted for Trump did not vote for House Republicans. Okay. Um, what do they do? Right, but the Republicans gained 12 or 13 seats in the House. Right, because the, the numbers for Democrats are actually even worse. The Democrat, uh, 3.9 million people who voted for uh, Biden did not vote for down-ballot Democrats. Now, what does that tell me? That to me, it's telling me how much people dislike Donald Trump. And it drove a lot of people to the polls just simply to vote against Trump. Uh, we have record numbers all over the place. And what does the what does the Republican Party do now? What is their message? They don't have a message. Um, is it build the wall? Is it uh, he, he he ran on lowering military spending and, bring, well, and bringing ran, the military. I don't know about in. lowering. He didn't lower military. Well, that's but, right. but bringing people home from and, conflicts and, and ending wars, which was. It's popular, and it, you know. This but he is, didn't do it. A, well, that's not oh, true. He, he, he did. Yes, he did I, I bring take some that back. people home, and, and and this is where. And he also ran on the idea that we had bad trade deals that hollowed out the American middle class, which to some extent is true. It's interesting that no, those the free two markets things, hollowed out the middle class. Like this. Well, is, yeah, unregulated this, free markets. Well, this this is my question to you: What do the Republicans run on? Are they free market, less government? But that's not Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not a free market guy. He wants to put up huge tariffs on borders and punish companies, I mean, punish U.S. U.S. companies who Republicans used to go ahead. Punish U.S. companies who don't play ball. He, did he go after a Michelin in was it Michelin or I forget which tire company he went after in Ohio um, because they weren't willing. Quote, well, well, I think it was it was it wasn't a good year. I think it was good year. It was good year. You know, and oh well, if you go out of country, we're going to pay these huge tariffs to come back in. These are U.S. companies who are doing this, right? That's that's what the free market is. So I don't know where the where yeah. the Republicans go from here. Yeah, I, I I don't know exactly either, but I don't know where the Democrats go either. Here you got a guy who who was did not win the popular vote. Trump wasn't. He's never been over 50% right. in job approval ratings. He ran up a deficit even before the pandemic. And then he clearly, clearly mishandled and misled the American people about a pandemic which has killed over 300,000 people. So he's God's own screw-up. All right? And the Democrats thought, we were gravy. We're going to do really well. We're going to get up some state houses. We're going to gain, uh, possibly gain control of the Senate. We're going to gain in the House of Representatives. None of that was true. So I, while I agree with you that the, the Republicans are at a crossroads, the Democrats, are, are <laughs> they did pretty poorly as a party in this last election. And again, I think it's partly because even though the the Democratic Party is it's not this caricature painted by Fox News. It's not captured by the left. It's just not. Look at who the president is going to be. It's Joe Biden. He's not a left winger. And to show he's a, he's a more moderate personality and more moderate in his policies than Donald Trump is. So, uh, but there is that left wing there. 
saying things like defund the police. And there's a little more to it. Once you realize that that's a sort of a stogging horse for abolish the police, abolish prisons. And then there's a little more. That's because the system itself, they, you know, people in the left wing and some people in the left wing, they think the whole thing is illegitimate. It's all racist. It's all built to just guarantee the privilege and power of white men. And we can bring it. It needs to be bought down. And that idea is there. And you can't. It is. And the Republicans use that idea that is in the far left wing, which is not right now the part of the party that controls. But certainly the, it's not the party that it's not the part of the party that controls but it is certainly the party, the part of the party that gets the most media attention. Right, right. And uh, intentionally drawing, uh, you know, attention to themselves. And also the right wing wants to give that because it's the, what they believe, like defunding the police, is unpopular. So I hope they can get, you know, the Demo- I hope the Democrats or I hope a mod- I hope we can have that our system was designed with its the three branches of government, checks and balances, the way we stagger elections. It's designed to produce a fairly moderate government that uh, changes slowly. And I'm not sure either. There's a lot, What I am sure of is there's people in either party who don't like that. They don't want that. But that's what the system is. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how much dedication they have, and how, how, how responsive our system can be to the actual problems that I believe exist, like global warming, like racism. But again, we live in this complicated, the United States is complicated. People keep wanting to make it simplified. Uh, and I Republicans, are, Republicans are good at that. They're we, very good. Yes. They're very good at simplifying messages and making it bumper sticker messages. And that's something that Democrats aren't very good at. I think that the reason why uh, Trump was so popular is because Trump made, I think a huge part of it is liberals hated Trump. And anyone who, and I think there's a, a large part of that population that liberalism becomes so unpopular that anyone who's pissing off that group must be doing a good job and therefore, I'm going to support him no matter what, because he's making the other side pull their hair out. And that's probably a good thing. Um, that's not a message, though. And, I, no. I, I, no. and until you can have a message, um, you can't have a cult of personality run your party. And they'll ha- they have to break away from that and find a message. The Democratic message, I agree, is complicated. But there's one there. There's a message someplace in there, whether it's global warming, whether it's racism, whether it's prison reform, whether it's police reform. There's something there that's tangible. What is tangible in the Republican Party right now is either trade deals or lower taxes, and both of which aren't bringing jobs back to the United States. And then you run into the problem if you truly are fiscally conservative and you really are free market, then those two ideas are certainly then playing against you because you're running up the deficit and you're trimming down what markets you can participate in. So uh, both parties have their problems right now. I would rather have the Democratic Party's problems than the Republican problems. I, I I would too, as of now, but a long time ago, about 20 years, there's this guy named Rui Texera, 
And I liked him. He wrote a book called The Emerging Democratic Majority. And basically, his idea was demography is destiny. That as the United States gets more diverse, as our population gets less white, and we get more people to live in cities, it was inevitable that the Democratic Party would triumph. Now, that was written 18 years ago. He's wrong. That idea is wrong. And I think people on the Democratic side and the people that really want to accomplish something about global warming and prison reform and racism, they need to look at why it was wrong. Is it just the fact of those terrible racist white men? You know, I noticed uh, that, that in the election that white college graduate women uh, voted for Biden, uh, but it was only uh, in, in, by a 6% and in, in white college uh, graduate men actually voted by a very slight majority, 51% for Trump. So there was a, a, a slight difference in them, but it wasn't that much. And sometimes you get the idea, I think, on again, on Facebook and groups, it's like white men and white women, they're really different, especially the educated ones. Mm-hmm. Those white women are really liberal. No, they're not. Not only that, you can tell by what happened in down-ballot races that some of those white suburban women who hated Trump and hated his sexism, hated his racism, voted against him, split their ticket. Mm-hmm. And uh, 12 of the uh, people that got elected uh, are women. 12, the, the 12 uh, um, districts that switched yep. were women. So the Republican Party can get more appealing toward women. And they already have a third of Hispanic vote, third of the Asian vote. Asians are the fastest growing now minority in the United States. If they can not get an overt racist, they can find a middle ground where they'll win. And, and to me, that would be, I don't, I don't think parties should be divided by race. I think that's a terrible thing in the United States. You can make a lot better... Um, and have more reasonable disagreements about taxes, about which programs should be funded. They become a lot less emotional. Yes. You know, how much money we need to spend on defense and so forth. So my hope for the Republican Party is that they abandon their rate. Now, whether they feel they can do that or not, I don't know. Trump got a lot of people out to vote for him precisely because of that. But there's a group there. Actually, you know, compared to 2016, uh, whites shifted their vote. Uh, if you look at in general in places that can, like Arizona and Pennsylvania, white voters shifting were part, part of the reason Arizona and Pennsylvania switched. Mm-hmm. It was white voters. Okay. So. All right. Well, I think we're going to leave it there. Um, that we're about 40 minutes into this, and we could really do a long discussion on the future of the Democratic Party and the future of the Republican Party. Um, And once we get through the inauguration on January 20th, we will go back to the, we'll bring the history back in to history and politics and start looking at some of these issues. And I think we should go back and re-examine the history of the Democratic Party, the history of the Republican Party um, on issues. And that might give us an indication on our future of those parties. So, Sounds good. Thanks thanks for the beer hut. Until next time, guys. Bye-bye.